Let's open in prayer and we'll get started. Father, we thank you. You just held off the reins. They went all around us just here at supper time, and we thank you so that we can still sit out here. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful blue sky. The, the wind has changed directions. It's coming off the gulf now, and it's just it's so gorgeous. And seeing your creation as it is down here, so different than what many people are used to, but it just literally shouts your existence. The design of everything here is just incredible. And it just shouts, as nature does. It shouts your existence. Lord, as we open up uh, Scripture tonight and look into your Word, with this lesson tonight as being a practical one on how does a person live for Christ in a fallen world, we, we ask that, again, your Holy Spirit, Lord, would teach us, convict us where we need it, correct us where we need it, but also, Lord, to deepen our relationship with you. And these things we ask to glorify you and your Son in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been talking about this week, frequently, God created a perfect world. Um, back in Genesis, He created a perfect world. There was no death, there was no illness. I mean, that was our first Bible lesson. We were talking about this. He, he put man in it when he, when he created it. And together, man and God lived in harmony. It actually tells us in Scripture that man and God walked together in the garden. Can you imagine what that must have been like? To walk hand in hand with the Creator God? Being able to ask a question and getting a direct answer? Being able to see His glory and walk around like that? But then... Man chose to disobey God and brought a curse of, onto creation. This curse includes illness, death, predatory relationships, predator-prey, hatred, jealousy, and the list goes on and on. That was not God's plan. And that's what a lot of people struggle with today who don't understand God, are not in a relationship with Him. They just don't understand why there's so much of bad things happening and stuff. Because it was not God's choice. That was not His decision to do this. It's what we brought on. And it's amazing how many people blame God when something doesn't quite go right or whatever. People are so quick to blame God when we're the ones responsible for all this. Yeah, but that's just sort of how man is. We don't like to accept blame. We like to put it off onto something else, and so we blame God. Because He allowed man to choose between man's own pursuits or living in a harmonious relationship with the Holy God. And of course, as you all know, we chose poorly. And since then, a lot of changes. Earth began to age, we began to age. People started to get sick. Animals get sick. Plants get sick. There's death. We have murders taking place every day. Rapes taking place every day. Robberies taking place. Assaults and so much worse happening all the time. It's become the norm of our society today. But, praise God, he had a plan. And as soon as man chose poorly and sinned, he put into place a plan to redeem, to redeem man, and to restore man to himself. This is grace. But there's a problem with this. And a problem 
is not God's, it's ours. You see, the problem is the fact that God is holy. The best description you can ever give of God is he is holy. I know we like to talk about, well, God is love. Yes, that's true. There's no denying that. God uses that name quite frequently, that he is a God of love. But God is also holy. It's, it's the one attribute or characteristic of God that theologians who generally can't agree on the color of an orange generally will agree with that God is holy. It's the best description of God. You want a really good description of God? That's according to, to theology, probably the best, uh, the best way of describing God, the best attribute. He is holy because holy is like an umbrella with so many things underneath it. By being holy, that means that God does not sin. That means he is absolutely perfect. He is so holy, he is just. He is so holy, he is pure. He is so holy, he is absolute perfection in every single way. There are no imperfections whatsoever. And he is so holy, he is the epitome of righteousness. You want a standard to compare what's righteous? Compare it to God. You want to compare something to see how pure it is? Compare it to God. How holy something is? Compare it to God. He is the standard by all of these things. He is so holy. Man, on the other hand, <laughs> though once we possessed those kind of characteristics before the fall, we once possessed these traits, we lost them. We lost them. We chose to lose them. It was our choice. And we became the exact opposite of God. But as we saw last night, God loves us so much that he wanted to redeem us for himself. But there's a problem. God is holy. We are not. We are full of of sin. Man is full of sin. And the law of God proclaims that even committing just one small sin, going in a grocery store, eating a grape without paying for it, is wrong. That's a sin. And that's the punishment of that is eternal death. Intentionally stealing an ink pen or a pencil off a desk. Or as some of you know, stealing your best friend's prized airplane toy. Stealing, anything like that. Just one thing. That's all you have to do is just one. We're so full of sin that if we commit one small sin, it's death and eternal separation from God. But God also vowed that sin could be covered. Atone for, it's another word for it. That's what atonement means, to cover something. And it takes blood. It's atoned for by blood. And he proclaims this. Remember, um, now, one sin is death. It says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. But the wages, the price of committing even one sin is death. But the same God proclaims this in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You have to have blood to forgiveness of sin. That's the only way sin is forgiven. Old Covenant, it's in the book of Leviticus, chapter 17, verse 22 says that. We have Hebrews 9, 22 saying the same thing. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And praise God, Jesus shed his perfect blood for us. And we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It says, but if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship love this, fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you notice it says all sin, not certain sins, not, not just stealing sins or lying sins. It says all sins. All sins. 
But then, as we talked about last night, once we're saved, what happens after that? What are we supposed to do? How do we live? What are we, how are we supposed to live our lives? What are you supposed to do now with your life? Most of you are in high school. Some of you are seniors. What are you supposed to do when you graduate? You juniors, you still have a whole year of school maybe, or maybe half a year or something like that if you graduate early. Then what are you going to do? You freshmen and sophomore, what are you thinking you're going to do the rest of your life? School, high school does not last forever. Thank you, Lord. It doesn't last forever. I could barely stand four years of it myself. So what are you going to do? How do you live your life? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. A couple of things I just want to point out to you. Again, using scripture as God is speaking to us, he tells us how we're supposed to live. That's what I love about God also. I mean, there's so many things I love about, but one of them, he tells us specifically answers to our life's problems. I believe that the Bible contains every single answer pertaining to any aspect of life you will ever experience. You can find the answer of what God thinks in there, but you got to read, you got to study it, and you got to talk to him and stuff, and that's what this is all about tonight. First of all, what are we supposed to do when we're saved? We are saved to do good deeds. We are saved to do good deeds. God tells us this scores of times over and over and over throughout the Bible. We are saved to do good works. We're saved to do good deeds. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works. We're supposed to be doing good deeds. Or in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then we have opportunity. Let us do good. Now notice who we're supposed to do good for. To everyone. And especially those who are of the household of faith. In other words, especially Christians. But even non-Christians. Even people who don't like you. Even people who hate you. Even people who make fun of you. We are supposed to do good, it says, to everyone. That is everyone. That's an encompassing thing of all mankind. We are supposed to be doing good. If you're a born-again Christian, this is one thing that should be very evident in your life, the good deeds that you do for people. Now remember, as I said before last night, you are not saved by doing good deeds. We're saved, as I just said tonight too, we're saved through the blood of Jesus Christ and having a pishtuo type of belief, a commitment and a trust in him. That's what it takes. Second thing, what do we do once we're saved? We are saved to worship God. Actually, that's one of the reasons God created us in the beginning. He created us because we are to worship him. And to worship and walk with God is something that we're supposed to do. That's part of our life. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 29 and 30, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. Bring an offering, come before him, worship the Lord. In the splendor of holiness, tremble before him all the earth. We are to worship the Lord. And by the way, folks, the word worship is not singing songs. Unfortunately, in our culture today, in the last, oh, since the 1980s, actually, this started, that we've started getting into churches where we think that singing songs is worship. It's not. There are differences between worship proskuneo is the, the Greek word for this, and, and what you have for um, praise. Toda is one word for praise. And there, there's actually seven different words for praise. There's a praise word for clapping your hands before the Lord when you're singing. Another one is singing with your voice. 
Another one is raising your hands. Another one is using instruments to praise the Lord. Bunch of praise words. They're not the same. That's not worship. Worship is proskuneo, which is literally the meaning is to fall down before, totally humble yourself and pay homage to the person. That's what you do. Do you know every single experience in the Bible when people worship the Lord, there's no singing? There's no singing. But there is bowing down and laying yourself humble and prostrate before the living God. Do you remember the story about Jesus calming the, the storm with the disciples in the boat? Those disciples are terrified, the boat's sinking and stuff like that. Jesus, you know, they wake up, Jesus, don't you even care we're going we're gonna to drown? And you know who I really felt sorry for? This was a storm. You guys were in a boat, not in a storm just recently. Can you imagine Matthew in that boat? Peter, James, John, these guys are fishermen. They're used to being out in storms, right? Matthew was a tax collector. Could you imagine what, his, what, what he was doing? I'm telling you, I bet he was feeding the fish. I bet he was. And I bet this was like him saying, what's going on? Who, you know, is, is this normal? Is this what it's supposed to be like? Are, are we going to drown? I, I bet he was panic stricken. Well, all of them were scared. They were all, even the sailors in this group. Jesus, don't you even care we're going to drown? And I love it. Jesus gets up and says, okay, that's it. Quiet, everything calm. And instantly it says the storm stopped. Then what does the disciples do? Like they start saying, who is this? That even the winds and the wave obey him. And it says that they bowed down and worshiped him. It says they bowed down and worshiped him. What does that mean? That they worshiped him. Was that Peter saying, hey, John, lead us in, you know, kumbaya. Or, you know, your everlasting love. Hey, John, lead us in that. Let's worship. That's what worship is, right? No, they did this. In, they, they did it in silence. There was no singing. John didn't lead them in a chorus. Okay, let's all go. Your everlasting love is. They didn't do that in the boat. Poor Matthew's still hurling over the side, no doubt. You know? He's still not quite recovered. He's probably laying there sort of sick like some people did on our boat um, just recently. <laughs> oh, please, don't even talk about food and everything. Yeah. He was probably like that. So that's not what worship is, and we are supposed to worship God. Humble yourself. Actually, Paul writes that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. That is our form of worship. The way that we live our life is a form of worship. We are to worship God. John 4, 23 and 24, it says, The Father is seeking such people to worship him. This is Jesus speaking. The Father is seeking. Do you understand that? The Father is seeking people to worship him. That's what he tells the woman at the well. We are to worship God. He's number one, should be number one in our life, number one in everything, and everything we own belongs to him. And I'm not saying you can't sing. Praising God is a good thing because that's what singing is. Do you realize back in the days of the tabernacle, when they worshiped God with all those sacrifices, do you know that the tabernacle worship was done in total silence? There was no singing. Singing is not worship, it's praise. Praise is like an hors d'oeuvre to get your hearts ready for worship. That's what it's for. It's the hors d'oeuvre. But to worship, and I know we often say, oh, I'm going to lead you in worship and stuff now. Or let's, let's sing to the Lord in worship. That's actually not biblically correct. But we are to worship him. Humble ourselves before him. 
total submission to him. That's worship. Third thing we're supposed to do, walk with God. In Galatians 5.23, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit, if you will. That's what this is talking about. Also in 1 John 1.3, uh, we proclaim also to you that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We are to have fellowship, walking in fellowship. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, what does this mean to walk in fellowship with God? How do you do that? Well, the word fellowship in the Greek is the word koinonia. And koinonia is meaning, the literal interpretation of this is to partner with. Or it's also used throughout the uh, ancient world in Greek to meaning communicate with. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to communicate. Do you realize that communication is a two-way street? It's a two-way street. It requires each participant to listen, to listen to the other and to talk. Yes, talk to the other. At Fort Wilderness, we do a couple of times a year marriage retreats where we have people, sometimes people's marriages are great and they're just coming for a tune-up. Other times they're coming to Fort for these marriage retreats because it's a last resort to save a marriage. Dr. Uh, Marks, he's world-renowned uh, um, marriage counselor and, 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 and teacher on this, and he has many times uh, come, and I've talked with him, he's a very good friend, um, and he has told me that one of the major reasons that marriages fail is a lack of communication. Some of you people here have been in some relationships with uh, a dating relationship with someone, and it has, I'm sure, broken up, and then, because uh, this happens, particularly when you're young, and part of the problem is communication. But in marriage, that's the number one killer of a marriage, is a lack of communication. She stops talking, he stops talking. All it takes is one, just to stop talking. Marriage is ill. It's in trouble. So to, to have a good relationship with God, we need to communicate. We need to have fellowship. We have to communicate with God. We've got to partner with God. That requires, number one, for us to listen to him. This means listen to God. So how do we listen to God when he speaks? God speaks to us today through his word, through the Bible, through the word of God. So to listen to God, you got to study his word. Now, that means not to read it like a novel, which is what many people are prone to do. They just pick up their Bible. Well, my assignment today is to read one chapter or one paragraph or something like that, and then I've done that. Well, I'm done. That's not studying your Bible. Have you noticed in here throughout this week how I have taken verses and taken them apart? That's what I do. I study the Bible. And then I write Bible lessons about this as to what I'm often studying. And then I speak on these things. But I take Bible verses apart. I look for things like who, what, when, where, how, and why as I read a verse or I read a paragraph or a passage. I look for those things and I ask the questions. Who is this being written to? Who is the listeners? Um, what's going on? When's this happening? Who's involved? How's this happening? I ask questions like this as I read the thing. And that's a way of studying the Bible. 
And I actually go back, as you know now, I go back into the original language just to try and figure out what exactly was being said. Because in today's language, it's all bizarre. But going back to the original languages, you get an idea of what was actually being meant. And if you study Jewish culture, which you know that I do, and I even lead archaeological trips and stuff on doing this, by studying the Jewish culture, because it was written to the Jews, I can understand scripture so much better, I feel. But God speaks to me this way because I'm listening to him. Just reading your Bible like as a novel, well, that's good. At least you've got your Bible open and you're reading it. But I'm telling you, what you're missing if you're just reading it like that, study the Bible. You know, the scripture says, study your, the, the word. Study it. That's what we're supposed to do. In Revelation 3.20, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That's a fellowship. When you're going to sit down to a meal, you're going to sit and talk and, and fellowship with each other. Tonight at supper, many of you are sitting around a table, listening to stories, having fun, fellowshipping. This is what we do with God. You did it with people. Now you can do it with God tonight. Just have a talk. Just tell them stuff like this. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. People often ask me, Michael, I wish I could get more faith. You know how you get more faith? Romans 10, 17 tells us. How do you get faith? Hearing the word of God. You study the word of God, it develops more faith. Right there, there's a promise from God. So listening to God is so important. Second, talk to. This means to talk to God. Now, we commonly refer to this, of course, as prayer. Pray. You need to talk to God. What kind of relationship can you have if you never talk to the person? Now, most of you know my wife, Denise, is down here. And during the day, I talk to her frequently. I want to try and have a healthy relationship with my wife. I listen to her, and sometimes I even bug her. We'll be riding in the car, and I'll say, what are you thinking about? And she hates when I do that. She can't stand it. Or I'll say, two cents for your thought. Uh, I hate when you do that. I want to talk to her. And when she talks, I listen to her. That's how you keep a marriage going. That's how you keep a relationship going. Those of you who are in a dating relationship or even having a best friend, is that not important in your relationship to talk and listen to the person? Of course it is. You need to talk to God. And the thing is, he's there all the time. No matter where you are, he's there. You tell him his problems, the problems you're having. When you're having a bad day, you're having a bad situation, talk to him, tell him that. Well, he already knows. Yes, he knows, but you want to talk to him and tell him. Tell him the thoughts. Tell him your desires. You just talk to him. He's right here. You don't have to get down your hands and knees, fold your hands, close your eyes. You can pray to God in your car. Because if you did that with your eyes closed, you'd get killed. But you, you can pray to God all the time because he's with you all the time. You know, he's not only your creator and your God, he's also your best friend. He's with you all the time. And as Jesus promised his, his disciples, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because let me tell you, friends will forsake you. God does not. Sometimes he gets silent because you're not listening and he needs you to focus. He tells us in Romans 12, 12, be constant in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Ephesians chapter 6, 18, part of the armor of God, he says, this is the last piece, often missed, but it's the last piece of the armor of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. We're supposed to be praying. Well, Michael, how can you go around praying all the time? How can you do that? That's impossible. 
It's not going around reciting the Lord's Prayer 24-7. That's not what this is talking about. What this is saying to pray without ceasing is remember that, God, that Christ is right here with you. He is there right with you, and you are in the mindset of knowing that he is right there with you, and you just talk to him throughout the day like that. But you always have the mindset of knowing God is right here and he's listening to you. And you can either verbally or silently just talk to him. That's what you do. That's what God is wanting. And it deepens your relationship. Can you imagine what kind of a marriage I would have if I never talked to my wife? Could you imagine the type of relationship I would have if I never listened to my wife? You see, these two things are so important. If you're going to have a relationship, a fellowship with someone, you've got to do those two things. It's so important. So we need to communicate with God daily, daily, folks, so that our relationship is strong. Just as a marriage is strengthened by frequent two-way communication between the spouses, we can strengthen our relationship with God by reading his word and by praying often. After all, we Christians, if you'll recall, if you've read Revelation, we are the bride of Christ. It is a marriage relationship. Okay, now that we got those down, what else am I supposed to do with my life? Very simply, serve God. It's that easy, to serve God. Now, that does not mean that you have to go to seminary now and be a full-time minister, or to go to some college uh, that does a minister, uh, missionary program and become a a missionary going to the foreign field. Maybe one or two of you might do each one of those things. Maybe somebody will be a pastor of a church. Maybe someone here will go off onto the mission field and do something. Maybe so. Maybe that's what God's plan is for you. I don't know. But we are to serve God in no matter what we do. We are to serve him. Now, what I suggest, because you guys are high school, with the exception of one the college student, what I suggest in trying to find your career Find out what you want to do in your life. But the thing is, you communicate with God as you're doing this. And at this time of your life, because you guys are young and there's so many fields that are out there, you need to try and experience as much as possible. That's one of the things about having a good education. Get experience in different types of fields. When Daniel and his three friends were taken to Babylon, they were taught in all the different subject areas, giving them a broad education, broad experience. We should do the same thing. Get as broad as an education as you possibly can. See these things. Like, I don't want to take that class. It means nothing to me. How do you know? You're so young. You don't know what's down the road in 20 years. You know, most people go to college their freshman year, and they state what their major is going to be, change it before they become seniors. I know people who changed it every cotton-picking year in college. Matter of fact, even when they graduated, I had one friend who graduated. She changed her, her, her major every single year. And then when she graduated, she finally graduated with an elementary ed degree. On the, one of the last nights at college, senior year, I went, she called me up. She says, can we take a walk? I need, some, I need, I need to talk. And I said, sure. So we're walking around campus. And I said, what's, what's up? And she says, I just finished my student teaching. I'm about ready to graduate. Yeah, I know. I'm the same grade you. Yeah, what's the, what's the problem? I don't want to be a teacher. And now I spent all this money doing this. I said, so what do you want to do? She says, well, I have to be a teacher because my parents paid all this money. I'm going to get killed. What do you want to do? Karen, tell me, what do you really want to do? She says, what I really want to do? I want to do geology. I said, then go back to school, get a master's in geology. I said, it's real simple. If you don't feel like you're supposed to be doing this, if this is not comfortable for you, this isn't your career, God's got you someplace else. Maybe geology, if that's what you like, maybe that's where God's directing you, go into that. 
So she did. She went to went back to school, uh, got a degree in, in geology. It's the last I ever heard of her, but I don't know what she's doing today. Find something like that to serve God. Find out what career. Get experience in whatever you possibly can. And as you communicate with God, don't forget that part. As you communicate with God, he will lead your mind into areas he has designed for you. Some things will just come along and like, wow, I really like that. Some things will come along and tickle your fancy. Oh, boy, this was so much fun. I want to do this. Some things will come along like, I don't ever want to do this again in my entire life. Yeah, that happens too. Whatever you're, you start leading, as long as you walk close with God, he's going to direct your path. It tells us this in Proverbs. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. That's Proverbs 3.6. So if you walk in close fellowship with him, he will lead you in the direction you're supposed to go. So what do I mean? This is really simple. I told my three girls when they were young, you find a career you love to do, you never have to go to work. All three of my girls were horse-crazy people. One of them who's here is still a horse-crazy person. Michaela runs her own business. She's a riding instructor. That's what she likes to do. And that's what she has chosen for a career, feeling God has led her to this direction. Find, stay walking close with God, let him direct your path, see where he takes you. My other daughter, she's not here this year, Amanda, same thing. She is a horse trainer, runs her business. Heather used to be in horses. Heather now wants to be a housewife and raise children. And that's what God, she feels God has called her to. Awesome. In total honesty, I always wanted Heather to go to college because she has natural teaching skills. Actually, all three of my daughters do. They all have a gift of that. And I always wanted Heather to go to college. But she very, you know, she says, I don't feel this is what God wants me to do. Okay. If that's not what God wants you to do, don't do that. I think God wants me to be, be a housewife, raise a family in in a loving, God-fearing home. That's what I want to do? Okay, that's what you do then. You find what God wants you to do. But to do that, you've got to be walking close with them. And you can use that as a ministry. My wife is an elementary school teacher, but she hasn't taught in years. What does she like to do? Her favorite thing is baking. You know something? She uses her kitchen at home as a ministry. Those of you who have been, and some of you have been in my youth group in the past, she bakes. For every youth group, she would bake. When I was telling some of you in dinner here tonight that she would bake treats for me to take to school, and I would share them with my students. She bakes. Uh, it, in the True North program at Fort, every time I teach, she bakes. Baking is her thing. She loves to bake, and I've often told her, well, did you ever think about just opening up your little bakery? And she says, no, I don't want to do that, because then it becomes a job. This is now is a ministry. This is what I like to do. And she does it for God. That's her way of serving God, is baking. If you love to teach, I love to teach. Whether I'm good at it or not, I don't know, but I really love to teach. And that is, I feel my, that God's calling for me, so I want to teach. That's how I serve God. Even taught in a public school for many, many years. I felt that was a mission field. If God doesn't want you to go in a certain direction, he's probably going to block it. He's probably going to shut the door. 
he will shut the door. But there is a nice saying, when God shuts a door, he almost always opens a window or another door. Proverbs 3, 6, you follow God, you keep communication with him, open both ways, he will direct your path. And you find something, he's going to let you go in the direction that you're going to love that job. That's the thing, that type of career. But the key is you must be sure you're walking in close fellowship with him. And, as I said last night, we will mess up at times. When we mess up, we confess our sins, repent of that right away, and he fixes. As it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The last thing I want to tell you here, just as a close, is this. I want to warn you folks that as you go through life, you guys are still pretty young, as you go through life, hard times are going to come. There's going to be difficult times. Don't think it's not going to happen. A death of a friend, a death of a family member, it's going to happen. Loss of a job, an illness, some disaster befalls you, cancer, depression, persecution for what you believe, or be, just being a Christian. I've experienced a lot of this. Of course, I'm 60 years old. I've lived a long time. I was, this has been going on a long time in my life. Bad things happen. I was telling some person today that when I was, or was it yesterday or today, no, today I think it was, that when I was in high school, between my sophomore year and the end of my senior year, 17 people died in my high school. I mean, bad things happen. And it's going to continue to happen because we live in a fallen world. I'm just telling you now to be prepared. Bad things will happen. Because we live in an area where Satan is the prince of the air. He is the ruler down here, and he is wrecking all um, havoc everywhere. But that's when, and this is so important, that's when times, uh, when times get tough, that's when you go to a good church. You find a good church. Get involved in a good church. A church can really help you. Some people have told me, well, I don't want to go to a church. I don't like going to church. A bunch of flawed individuals. I remember one time when I was visiting a family about going to church. They hadn't been there in a while, and I knocked on the door, and a guy invited me in to sit down for a moment. And I said, you know, I, I see you haven't been to church in a long time. I was just wondering, you know, uh, you know, is there something wrong or something I could help you with or something to pray about? And he says, I hate going to church, full of, just full of hypocrites. And he just kept, just went on just bad-mouthing, bad-mouthing every single person and all this stuff, and he was swearing and cussing through the whole thing. And I was like, so you're not going to church because of the hypocrites and all the bad people? I said, come on, just one more is not going to make a difference. <laughs> that wasn't the wisest thing to say. <laughs> but... Yeah, he didn't come back. <laughs> Let me tell you, that was, not, that was not the most brilliant moment of my life. Um, but churches are made up of flawed people. But even though they're flawed and messed up, that's true, the Spirit of God still resides in these people. And it, that is right there a good enough reason that the church can support you. Get involved in a good church. It's amazing. It can recharge your batteries. It can help you when you're going through difficult times. you got people to rely upon, people you can confide in. Man, there's so many advantages to this. 
I'm going to read you a passage here out of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14. I'm reading this out of the God's Word translation. I really like this translation. It's not a real popular one. It's a thought-for-thought thought translation, not a word-for-word, word, as I told you about earlier. But it gets the idea of what God's trying to convey to us. Look what he says. He also gave apostles, prophets, missionaries, as well as pastors and teachers as gifts to his church. Their purpose is to prepare God's people to serve and to build up the body of Christ. This is to continue until all of us are united in our faith and our knowledge about God's Son, until we become mature, until we measure up to Christ, who is the standard. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed and carried about by all kinds of teachings that change like the wind. We will no longer be influenced by people who use cunning and clever strategies to lead us astray. Watch these things I've told you, and I want to leave you with this. Two verses, two of my favorite verses in the Bible. Colossians 3, verse 17 and also 23 and 24. Whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And likewise, the other passage, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. If you go through life and your goal you feel like is to flip burgers at Burger King, then you do the best job ever. You flip burgers at that grill as if Jesus himself is ordering every single one of those burgers. If you're going to go out and work construction or something like that with a shovel or a saw or a hammer, then you go out and you build whatever you are supposed to be building as if Jesus himself is going to be using that. You take a job as a waiter or a busboy in a restaurant or something, then you become the best busboy, the best waiter, because who is sitting at the table is Jesus Christ. Who's coming to this table next is going to be Jesus Christ. That's how you treat your job. You don't work for people. You do whatever you do for the Lord. That's what this says. You are serving the Lord Christ in everything you do. That just doesn't say the fun things in life. That means every homework assignment. You do your best because you're doing it for God. Johann Sebastian Bach used to always write at the beginning and the end of every piece of music, just about every piece of music he ever wrote, Sola de Gloria. He would sit down to his assignment that day was to write a piece of music. He would write down Sola de Gloria, to God's glory alone. And then he would write it. And then at the end, he would sign it to God's glory alone. I double dog dare you to live the rest of your life like that. Every homework assignment you ever get, every assignment you ever are given, any job you ever get, you do it for him. And if just us in this, on this island right here did that, I think we could start a change that would start all over this world because this is what God has called us to. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to teach and speak to us tonight and throughout our lives from what we have learned here. I pray that people now know you as Lord and Savior, that they have a Pishtuo faith. 
But Lord, I pray also that you would put a hunger inside of us that cannot be satisfied by anything else except for studying the Word of God, for feeding on it, just like we feed food into our body to sustain it. Lord, let us feed our souls with your Word. And Lord, let us not forget to talk to you, to keep this communication way open so that we can be so close and walk with you in fellowship and you will guide our path. It's a promise you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.